As a sales manager, you are judged by the performance of your team and you're praised when they do well. But one thing that you've not been able to figure out is how to get everyone on your team consistently hitting quota every single month. On the Snack Size Sales Podcast, we discuss the science of selling STEM. Sales leadership in the science, technology, engineering, and manufacturing fields is difficult. You will learn from sales managers just like you that will give you actionable insights and tips on how to develop as a leader and achieve your revenue targets every single month. So pop your headphones in and get ready to listen to my guests today. They will give you information and inspiration to ensure that you have actionable insights that you can put into place today. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Science of Selling STEM. Today, my guest is David Vandenboom. How are you, David? I'm very well. Thank you, Wesley, and yourself? I'm doing amazing. Thanks for joining us today. So let me tell you guys a little bit about David. He is the senior sales director with experience in oil, energy, and chemicals. He is an expert in coaching, negotiation, business planning, operations management, sales, and market research. He is a self-directed professional with an MBA specializing in management and organizational theory. So you are a person after my own heart. Oil, energy, chemicals. That's my heart. (laughs) That is my world. So tell me, how did you start your career and how did you end up where you are today? Sure. That is actually a a really good question. I have one of those long and varied uh, experiences. I'm actually a teacher by trade. And I started out the first decade of my career teaching anywhere from the elementary level all the way up to some of the collegiate level courses. From there, it was actually a transfer into the financial industry, thanks to some of the family members who I had helped on the weekends. And it was a hop, skip, and a jump over to the chemical industry where I initially started with sales. So it's been transitioning always from education to finance and into the sales market. And uh, here we are today. So tell me about, you said you were helping some family members out. I always like to, to understand what exactly were you doing in that financial market, helping the family members? Not a problem. My great aunt was a long standing financial advisor. And on the weekends, I would help her while I was teaching. And she ultimately pushed me to get some of the licensing requirements in order to help her and help her clients at that point in time. So I did get my Series 6 and 63 and Series 7 and all the other wonderful series that goes along with getting into that financial field. So as uh, I worked weekends and, as I said, during my day job was teaching. And that ultimately moved me from teaching into the financial industry. So you went from being a teacher, so dealing with our next budding generation. So you went from the budding generation to helping people achieve their retirement goals. So it really sounds like you went from one end of the spectrum to the other. So what in your teaching career helped you in the new career path of financial services? You know, I think when you're in the teaching industry or when when you're in the education industry, you're always, there's not a one size fits all in terms of education and how you teach a student as opposed to teaching another student. And in the financial industry, the same thing applies, especially when you're you're funding education or funding retirement. So 
somebody's retirement plans looks absolutely different from somebody else's uh, financial or, or retirement plans at that point. So there is that, you know, one of the best things from having a foundation in the educational industry is that there's no time clock. Yeah, the kids are there from eight o'clock until three or whatever that timeline may be, but your job as an educator is always extends beyond that. And I know that that's the case in many different industries, but having that foundation in education really helped exemplify some of those aspects that, not that you're always on the clock, but you're always thinking about how you can improve and how you can improve your students or your clients or your customers. That's one of the really big takeaways that I've had from education. Mm, that's good. And you have all of those licenses. And then you said you worked in the, the energy and the chemical industry. So it's like you're, me and my husband all packaged up in one because he was a, a financial advisor um, in his previous life. And so he's had to take all of those certification exams also. Wonderful. So now going into the financial services industry, that's, it's, it's kind of like sales, right? It's kind of like your first step into sales. So you took that step into the financial services industry, and how did you leap over onto the dark side? Well, the dark side always comes across either from a connection or from a headhunter. So uh, <laughs> that transition to chemical sales was actually with a connection from the financial industry. And it was an individual who I was helping that said, hey, I have a friend who runs a company. They could really use your help. Why don't you go meet with them? And a, a simple cup of coffee later, I was in sales in the fine chemical industry. Mm. So everyone, everyone, you know, one of my favorite phrases about getting your competitors rejects. I talk about it all the time on the podcast. Stop getting your competitors rejects. So someone said, hey, you're really good at sales and financial service sales is not even B2B sales. It's not B2B sales. It's not chemical sales. You didn't have a chemical background. You were just a strong salesperson and they took a chance on you. So when you started that job as a chemical salesperson, what were some of the synergies and some of the, oh my gosh, what did I do moments? Well, I'll tell you what, the first, oh my gosh moment is you're jumping into an industry. I had no background. I'm not a chemist by nature. You know, I did not have a good educational background in chemistry or in the items that we sold at that point in time. So my oh my gosh moment is, I'm here, I'm excited, I'm ready to get out there. What is it again that I'm selling? And you know, I think part of the, the thing that really helped me is I really enjoy building those relationships with customers and with clients. So that takeaway from the financial industry, that takeaway from the educational background in the industry is, is one of those where I said, okay, I'm really good at talking with customers and listening to what they're looking for, what their needs are, and building that into kind of my whole conversation with going into it. And that was my, okay, what can I transition or what do I bring with me to the table as I make this leap into the dark side of sales? Mm, the dark side. And... I think that oftentimes when sales managers are hiring you salespeople, hiring someone that doesn't know the industry, doesn't know B2B sales, doesn't know petrochemicals, like you didn't know any of that. You didn't have a book of business. You didn't know the products they were selling. You didn't know any of the customers. And it's like, well, I don't have time to train them, right? And they want somebody who's ready-made. 
But at the end of the day, when you get strong sales skills will outperform any day somebody who has a book of business because you're scrappy, right? You know how to listen to somebody. You know how to say, okay, I don't know the answer to your questions, but I do know how to write them down and go ask the other people that do know the answers. Correct. And that's a great way of putting it. I don't know the answer. And a lot of salespeople out there really have a hard time saying, I don't know that answer. But let me get back to you because I know somebody who does have that answer and I know that we're going to have a solution for you. Let me get back to you. And that is a great tip. That's a, a really good comment that you have on there. Why do you think it is that salespeople are afraid to say, I don't know? What is it? A lot of times it's our own upbringing where, hey, we're in sales and we need the sales. And whether it's the drive from our bosses or from management that we need to have all the essential tools that are, you know, we can pull out of our pocket at any point in time, taking a step back and saying, I don't have that answer. I think a lot of people, when they say that phrase, they ultimately think, shoot, I lost the sale. Mm. But I think it's just another step in continuing the communication that you have with that customer or client. Mm, I love that. It's the fear of losing the sale, especially, you know, when you're at a time of year, like now we're the, the fourth quarter and it's like, I need every single conversation must convert, right? And Correct. so it's in your brain, you have that thought, but I know a lot of times, you know, I would tell people, so I'm a chemist by trade, but a lot of times when I was in sales, I was calling on engineers, right? And so I had to learn how to speak engineer. <laughs> and I would always tell my team when I was leading them, we know our product. We know our product better than anyone out there. The customer knows their product better than anyone out there. It's okay when they ask you a crazy off the wall question and you're like, I don't know. Let me go ask somebody who's smarter than me. And what does that do? It brings down the barrier and they start laughing, right? It's okay. <laughs> right? It's okay. That's exactly correct. That's it's a great point to bring home. It really is. Yeah. I love it. So you got into chemical sales. How did you find your footing? How did you really figure out how to start learning the jargon, figuring out those customers? You know, it all takes that picking up the phone and calling customers that are there, calling existing customers. You know, having a conversation with not only your teammates or the people that are on staff or, or part of the team of that organization, but also those that are broader reached with the customers and client base. Having those conversations and learning the jargon, like you said, you know, learning how to talk to them, but more importantly, how to listen to them, what they're actually looking for. So, mm. and that's the biggest thing is listening to those customers and listening to everything that's out there. And most of the time we're so focused, like you said, it's the end of the year, we're crammed, we're trying to get everything done, we're trying to get everything, you know, budgets accomplished and all of our goals accomplished by the end of the year that you take that step and that meeting with the customer and listen to what they're looking for, listen to how you can help them. And that just builds that relationship from there. Mm, that's so good. As a new salesperson, that's one of the things that I love to say, like, if there is an existing book of business, go learn from your customers. Ask them questions. You're the new kid on the block. They're not going to yell at you. And one thing that we all know is everybody loves talking about themselves. So they will tell you about their research. They'll tell you about their awards and their patents and everything that they've done to get them to where they are. And you're just listening and learning and asking questions. And then I also like to take it a step further, like, hey, I'm the new kid on the block. 
what do you not like about the company? What, have you had any issues, any kind of things that you want me to, to bang up the chain, right? Like, open the door. That is so true. Actually, I love that line. I still use the line. I've been in this industry for over a decade now, and most of the customers that I have or most of the people that I meet, I still use that line. I'm new here. What would you tell me that I'm missing? And once you, it's not a form of humility, but it brings down that wall between you and the, and the person that you're speaking with. That's a great it line. It breaks the barrier, right? Yeah. It's the, because that's what it is. It's like, you're new, I'm new, and there's a wall in between us. Who's going to knock this wall down first? We're going to talk about sports. We're going to talk about the weather. We're going to talk about all these niceties. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to learn and I actually want to get your business but you don't want to actually talk to me about it. You feel like I'm wasting your time. So let's figure out how to break it down. And you don't always have to be so serious because I think a lot of times in these very technical sales that we're in, people are just way too serious, right? It's just like, yeah. it doesn't always Correct. have to be so serious. We can break down barriers sometimes. Correct. It's a point of commonality too. I'm new, you know, everybody wants to help somebody. No matter who you are, they're going to want to help somebody out. So that line, I'm new, that gives them the opportunity to teach you something. Absolutely. So tell me, you stepped into the industry and then you made an ascent into a leadership role. What was that transition like for you? How did that work? It was a smooth transition. I was very blessed by having a really great team around me and really great individuals to work with. That backed up by a great book of business or a great group of customers. That made that transition so smooth. It was almost like I was doing it anyways. And once mm -hmm. again, I go back and I reference my background in education where, you know, trying to help somebody out or trying to teach somebody or trying to learn or continually learn has always been a great benefit and a great benefit for anybody to have. If you're looking at going into a leadership role, it's that building of a team or listening to others or the commonality that we had talked about that you said, you know, breaks down those barriers. That happens internally or intrinsically in organization. And if you make it a point that you're there to help them, to help them succeed, to help them to grow, and you not only say that, but you live that type of philosophy, building a team and being in charge of those individuals to help them grow, it happens organically at that point. So when you stepped into leadership, did you have to build your team from scratch or did you inherit a team? A little of both. You know, there was a, a couple of members that were already existing, you know, that I'd worked side by side with and some where we had to go out and we had to hire some folks for some territories. So how was it from being friend to boss? Talk to us about that transition in your career. I think the biggest stigma when it says friend to boss or you, you move to that type of relationship is when you start talking about money, because, you know, in any type of atmosphere, money's still a very personal thing. And you can't be afraid to have that discussion. And the more upfront that you are about everything, the better that communication or the line of communications between each individual on your team is going to be available and going to be open. So it's been my experience. Money is number one, the, the most difficult thing when making that transition from friend to boss or to leader or team lead, whatever phraseology you want to use with it. Once that conversation is done though, and you're there to help the individual. You're there to help anybody that's on your team to grow the team, to grow the organization's success. I think it happens by itself at that point. 
you have to, you know, I'm going to keep using the phrase that you said, but you're going to keep breaking down those barriers and, and breaking down some of the different aspects that makes individuals on your team not want to communicate with you. You break those down and, and everything becomes a lot easier. Mm, that's good. That's a good perspective that going from really working alongside someone to having to, you know, redirect them when they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing or praise them. Whereas before you guys were in the trenches together, it's like, oh, now you know how much money I make. Hmm. We used to make the same amount of money, but now you might be making a little bit more. And a lot of times that's where that infighting comes. Because a lot of times when people are moving up in the ranks and they start leading their former colleagues, they have lots of issues. And it sounds like you were like, okay, we're going to have this conversation. We're going to get on the same page. And then we're going to go out there and keep hitting these goals. Yep. 100%. And then you started building the team. So in hiring, or you said you built some new territories. So tell us as a relatively new sales manager, or maybe even somebody who may not be new, but they have inherited a team and they're backfilling positions, but now they're in growth mode. And so they have to define new territories, go into new markets. What are some tips that you would have for those people? You know, for the individuals that are going into new territories or for the individuals that are growing your team going into new territories, it all comes down to conversation. It all comes down to listening to your customers, listening to the customer base in that area. And if it's an individual that you're throwing into that new territory, it's coaching them. It's coaching them how to ask the right questions and how to listen, not necessarily just sit there and think about what their answer is going to be to what your customer is saying, but to listen to the customer's actual needs and then applying those particular solutions. You know, going into new territories, you're going to have the same set of goals and principles that you had in your existing territories, especially if it's a foundation that's based on having conversations with individuals and building those relationships for the greater good of both of you. Mm. You talk a lot about listening and talking, right? And coaching. And so I'm curious if we were to survey both your reps and your leaders or your, your managers, the people who you report to, what would they define as your true leadership style? Wow, that's a great question. I think they would actually respond in very supportive, listening, nurturing, and then through accomplishment or successful praise, if you will. Everybody has their own unique set of skills that they bring to the table. And it's identifying those set of skills, growing them, letting them know, hey, this is a great set of skills that you've got here. Take that, use that to your advantage as you go out and you talk to these customers. And you can really grow their own confidence. As their confidence grows, so do the communications and the relationships that they have with those individuals. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And it's it's always really hard to toot your own horn. And so I, I like to kind of throw some curveballs in there. So that's why I was like, what would they say about you? <laughs> but I just in listening to you for the few moments that we've been speaking, I would agree with you, right? That they would say that not only are you really able to meet your reps where they are and speak their language, but you're also holding them accountable and pushing them, right? Because you don't go from inheriting a team to opening up new territories and growing and building without doing some of those things. You know, and I, you brought up the term accountability. And I think accountability is one of those terms where if you've got a salesperson who is rocking and rolling, it's somebody who's hitting their territory and building the relationships with their customers and clients, 
the accountability portion of it kind of falls away because that takes care of itself. Accountability would be, I almost refer to it as almost on the dark side of it. And it happens to some point simply because if you have a rep or somebody who isn't pulling their weight or, or is struggling, then that accountability starts creeping up. Then you start looking at your KPIs and what's going wrong and you're not hitting this goal and you're not hitting these metrics. And that's a totally different thing. Those accountability aspects make you take a step back and look at that individual on your team or you know where are they struggling? How can you help them? How can you help them grow? Does that make sense? Absolutely. I have this this little matrix that I, I use and I, I tell uh, managers that every quarter you kind of need to plot your people on it, right? And it's really a quota and effort matrix. And so literally you're like, where are you? Are you at quota? Are you putting in the maximum amount of effort? And really based on where people are following that quarter, that's where you need to focus your attention, right? And that's those people point. that are below quota and not putting in the effort, I always say, why are they here? Because if you're not hitting your number and you're not doing the things you need to do, then why? And those people that are hitting their quota and they're putting in the most effort, they're knocking on doors, they're still making phone calls, they're still filling the funnel, they just need a little encouragement every most of the time. It's those other two quadrants that you have to focus on, right? Those people right. who are like, okay, I'm below quota, but I am knocking on every door and nobody will say yes, right? So you right. as a manager get to say, how can I help you? What right. can I do? Because I know you want it. Just a little tweak here, or maybe don't say this, or don't get so eager, or I see what's happening. And then they win a sale, and then they win another sale, and then their confidence grows. And that is how you really turn those reps that are really struggling into top performers. That's correct. And success breeds success, and it, it keeps rolling to that point. And, and those individuals or those sales individuals that are out there and they're putting the effort in. And like you said, they're knocking on the door. They just can't get a yes. They can't get a sale. Just a little tweak. Usually that's all that it is. And all of a sudden you've got a basket full of success. I know. And you're like, wow, I remember when you were just struggling <laughs> and now you're at the top of the leaderboards, right? And it's that's like, right. those are the things that good leaders hang their hats on. That's right. Good point. So tell me about a something in your career that you're really excited about having accomplished. That's another really good question. You know, when you take a step back and you look at everything that you've done, and I've, I've been in basically almost any, any industry you can think of, I think the most or the thing that I am most proud of is the type of relationships that I've built with colleagues and customers, hands down. And it's, it's that relationship. I don't want to call it relationship selling but it's having those relationships with the individuals that I'm most proud of. Mm, your relationships, you know, and what that made me think about is like, I tell people my word, my word is good, right? And if you think about your relationships, it's all built on you are doing what you say you're going to do, right? Mm. You are the person that you say you are, you show up the same way all the time consistently. It's a really good point. And I think with some of your listeners, I'll tell you the first time that I remember the first time that I was on a sales call with a new customer and it was a competing bid on a project and it was a very good apples to apples comparison. The pricing was the same, very similar. It was a draw basically of who was going to win this particular project with this customer. And I was sitting right across the desk from this individual and he said, okay, well, what if I go with you? What do I get that's different from your competitor? 
and without a beat, I said, you get me. And with that, I'm going to work tirelessly to make sure that everything that we say we're going to do is done to 110%. And, you know, for most of the salespeople out there, don't forget that you are your greatest asset. And it's okay to say that. Now, it's not something that I say on a day-to-day basis. There's humility that comes along with that. But keep that in the back of your head that you are your greatest asset. What is your customer getting? They're getting you. They're getting your time. They're getting your expertise. You're getting your, your conversations. And that's a great thing to keep in mind. I love that. I mean, that that right there is so paramount. That is uh, I'm speechless. It made me think about, so I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, the company that I worked at and I sold for, my younger brother is now a supervisor in that lab. And they have printed emails right next to the instrument with my name on it of how to do things. My business card is still on the instrument, right? And it's because of what you said. They get you. People buy from people. And even in this world of everything is digital and this and that, they buy from you. They're getting you. When something breaks, when something happens, they want you. And I tell people, when I have a customer that says, hey, Wesleyan, do you sell this? Do you do that? And it's like, I absolutely don't do anything in terms of marketing or PR, but you trust me enough (laughs) to think that I do and you value my recommendation. That is an honor. It's not like, no, you don't know what I do. And it's exactly what you said. It's the fact that people get you and salespeople don't say it enough. And you're right. Don't have the big head and say it all the time, right? (laughs) Right, But you need to use it at the appropriate times. When it's down to the wire and it's you against a competitor, what's a differentiating factor? You. That's right. Your hustle. Everything else that comes along with it. You know, and, and you'll find that not only that, you build that relationship with the customer all of a sudden you got a referral and that customer is going to refer you to somebody else. Hey, I was working with David and I really liked how he did it. I know that Jim over there is going to need the same thing. Jim, go talk to David. He'll take care of you. And then you build that relationship. And all of a sudden you've got a referral book of business that continually comes at you when you're not even looking for it. So not only have you established yourself as a very good relationship building person, but you've established yourself as an expert in the industry simply because of your hustle and your determination, and most importantly, yourself. Mm, That is so good, David. I am so excited. That was, yeah, that's good. People buy from people, period. And I think that really sums up all of the things that you've talked about today. You talked about listening. You talked about being a resource. You talked about educating. You talked about asking questions. And that's why people like you, right? As a manager, as a salesperson, as anything, that is what people are attracted to the most. This has been an amazing, amazing time chatting with you. No, I appreciate it. I look forward to any of the conversations or any questions that you would have or future conversations. Awesome. Well, if people want to chat with you and pick your brain or speak with you a bit more, what is the one best way for them to get in contact with you? I'm still old school. I still uh, appreciate a phone call. Emails are great, but uh, I love a phone call. If if you're good giving out a phone number, I have no problem with that. Otherwise, emails or LinkedIn is always going to be uh, another way to get in touch with me. 
Okay, well, David's phone number will be in the show notes. So if you guys want to give him a call, you can literally just click his phone number in the show notes and you can connect with him. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks again so much for your time, David. Thank you. I appreciate being on. Awesome. And that was another episode of The Science of Selling STEM. Wasn't that interview amazing? I mean, how many gems, how much do we have that we can really put into action today? Remember, in everything that you do, transform your sales. Until next time. Thank you for joining us today on the Snack-Sized Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.